they are already using their talents for the Lord. Psalm 119, Psalm 119, and we are continuing our study through this great chapter that we have borrowed, the title for this chapter, the Mount Everest of the Bible. We read through, or Derek read through, appreciate uh, his scripture reading tonight, and the Hebrew letter for this stanza is the Hebrew letter Nun. In the acrostic, each of these verses would begin with that Hebrew letter Nun in the, in the stanza. So we see, first of all, tonight a familiar verse, one that we probably have memorized, uh, many of us, from the time we were young, a verse that is uh, familiar to us in a lot of ways. I know through children's ministries, uh, we have often used this verse to give children the, the simple truth, the simple understanding of the fact that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Now, you may have a footnote in your Bible. I don't know if you have a reference Bible. Uh, I'm not sure if you might have this footnote in your Bible, but lamp is the word for candle. And in our day, we might think of a flashlight. If I'm not careful, I will turn my flashlight on if I say the code words. So I'm not going to say the code words. I don't know if it would recognize my voice if I said, Hey, Surrey, turn on the flashlight. I don't know if any of you would have a flashlight turn on. My voice wouldn't be recognized by Surrey on your phone, would it? I don't know how that works. But anyway... Uh, I have a droid, so anyway, I won't even go there, because that gets into droid versus Apple and all that fun stuff. But if I even now, with my phone, even give a certain command, my phone will turn my flashlight on. And I can literally be taking the dog out after dark and just speak the command, and there, there my phone turns on the flashlight. Back in our day, growing up, it was the the flashlight, just the simple flashlight. I can't even remember the the brand that my dad always seemed to have around the house. Nowadays, you can buy all kinds of different flashlights. You can can light up Ross-Aid Stadium practically with some of the, uh, the, the flashlights that are out there today. We know how important light is. Think about in a first century or a Old Testament world without all the modern conveniences and the electricity and all of the things that we just are used to. The power goes out and we don't know what to do. Maybe you have an emergency flashlight somewhere. Of course, with our phones, it's a little bit easier to just turn the flashlight on. And I know in our house, we had places where we kept the flashlights. And you know how there's always that flashlight that you never change the batteries and then the power goes out. And then you go to that drawer and you pull the flashlight out and the batteries are all corroded because you've never even used that flashlight except in an emergency. And then now it's not, it's not going to help. But we, we can illustrate this in so many ways. But in the Old Testament world, that flame on that candle, that lantern, that lamp, that was their source of light. And if they traveled at all after dark, There might be some lanterns that would be out on homes or along the streets or in different places, but nothing like what we're used to with street lamps and all the different security lights. They did not have that. 
We're so used to our modern conveniences, the lamp, the candle, the lantern was literally a life-saving device. Now, we know how important a flashlight is in a dark room, in a dark place. I remember working a night shift at uh, Bob Jones, and I was on custodial, and I did a lot of floors, carpet, and wax, and I drove a work van, and we carried our equipment in there. And I remember going to the FMA one time to go take care of a project, and I opened up the door, and it was after dark, and dummy me, I didn't have anything to light my way as I walked into that room, that area, and I literally walked into a door that was propped open, and it whacked me right between the eyes. That hurt so bad. I was so afraid I was going to walk around with a bruise right there, and everybody was going to be saying, what happened to you? Oh, I was walking in the dark in the FMA, and I slammed right into a door. (laughs) But, you know, we know how important light is. We have night lights. On and on we could go with the illustration. In a day of the Old Testament, when robbers and bandits, various crimes could take place, it wasn't 911 and the police would be there in two minutes. The lantern, the candle, the lamp was a life saving device. It was literally a way for them to get from point A to point B without a major catastrophe or a crime being committed, something that could be very costly, very dreadful, uh, very injurious, or even cause death. That is where the context that the psalmist is is writing from. The word of God is life-saving. It is showing the path to prevent us from sinful catastrophes. We talked about the desires of our hearts this morning, the sinful lusts in that sense, as we were going through James 1. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth uh, sin and death. And we went through all of that this morning in James 1. And we need the light of God's word. We need the lamp of God's word to help us to shine the truth, the light of the truth of the word of God on the path of our life that is before us so that we can see the obstacles We can avoid the sins that would so easily beset us, that we can cast off the weights that would carry us down. You've been in places where if you didn't have enough light, you stepped on a Lego, you stepped on that matchbox car in the hallway or the living room. Outside, you trip on a vine, you trip on a stick, a root. All kinds of things that can happen. We need the Word of God to light our way, to light our path. There are so many places of darkness that we have to. Maybe you work in an environment that is full of darkness. And you need the light of God's word every day as you go to work. And you have to deal with a very dark group of people, a set of coworkers, or whatever the case may be, a boss that is totally contrary to your belief system. A professor in the classroom, or whatever the case may be, we need the light of God's word for all of those 
circumstances, for all of those paths along the way of life. But then there's also the word light. A little bit different meaning there, and that is referring to daylight or literally even to the morning light that comes. If you've ever been up late at night or can't sleep or maybe you've been sick and there's that tossing and that turning, there's something about that morning light coming across the horizon. I remember being in Africa and being on mission trip and there would be some very dark places uh, occasionally that we would stay, or even my apartment at the, uh, the Bible college, sometimes it could get very, very dark. And sometimes just maybe tossing and turning, just thinking about home or uh, thinking about the day or some of the fears or just, again, again, just being in the United States and being home and maybe being sick and tossing and turning during the night and just that break of dawn, that morning light that comes across and how it brings the hope of a new day. It brightens our spirits. Uh, there is, I don't know all the, the biological ways that this takes place, but there is an effect upon the human body when daylight comes in the morning and how it causes certain, I guess, endorphins or something in our bodies and it causes us to wake up. Now, I have teenagers in my house, and I don't know if morning light phases them. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know if a teenager has the same effect from daylight and endorphins or however that works. Um, but uh, maybe, maybe you're like that. Maybe you're a heavy sleeper. Um, but uh, I, I love mornings, and uh, some people who aren't morning people, they miss some beautiful sunrises. The, Indiana's got beautiful sunrises and sunsets. I know people, they shared their pictures on social media of the beach and Florida and all these other places. But I tell you what, Indiana's got some beautiful sunrises and sunsets. Somebody shared one the other day, and I've got some pictures. We were down at a football game last year. And beautiful sunset. But that morning light, the dawn of a new day, that's the word light. There's the light of God's word that shines brightly like the dawn of a new day that brings that hope that brings that light to our life that we so desperately need when living in a world that is so full of darkness. And we could even look ahead to verse 110, and we see that the wicked have laid a snare for me. Don't we need the, light, the lamp of God's word and the light of God's word to recognize the snares that the wicked have laid? One of the deadliest assignments that I have observed or read, I've seen some documentaries, some of these, I don't know exactly what their title is in the military, but they're the scouts that have to go out ahead. And in places like Iraq, Afghanistan, there's the, correct me if I'm wrong, the IEDs, the explosive devices that are hidden, they're like landmines out there. And uh, there, are, there are times where they have to go out in advance of the rest of the army, the soldiers, and these scouts, exactly what their title is again, I can't remember, they have to go out and they have to put their lives on the line, so to speak, to try to find these and to get rid of them so that the rest of the army can come through. 
And I don't know what all that they use. There's different devices that they use, and I don't know if it's uh, infrared or heat-seeking or what, but they have ways in which they try to identify where these are at. They miss one, and it's deadly. It, it costs some, not just life, or, or, or maybe not limb, but, but life, and, and life and limb. And we've seen some of the horrific casualties and some of the things that happen to those soldiers. And we live in a world of sin, IEDs of sin, landmines of sin. We need the lamp, we need the light of God's word so much. Because Satan, again, we've talked about it a lot today, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we are... Sometimes so apathetic. I see so much of evangelical, broader evangelical Christianity. Those who claim, who profess Christ, they're just so apathetic. So weak on church attendance, so weak on Bible reading, so weak on Bible uh, knowledge. Uh, I read and hear and listen. I try to keep up with things. And a lot of times what I hear from preachers, pastors, these different podcasts, is that people who are sitting in our local churches and young people, they don't know their Bibles. They've not been catechized, taught the truth of the Word of God. And some of that I blame on pastors who aren't doing their due diligence and shepherding the flock of God. Some of that is a general church attitude that we just need to get in and get out and we need to soften things down and make it more... Uh, likable for the unsaved and a lot of entertainment type of philosophy. Some of, that, some of it is that. Church attendance, we read this morning in Sunday school an article and there's only 30, 31% of the American population that even goes to church once a week. And if they're only getting a 30-minute sermonette and they don't have any kind of personal devotional life and they don't have any kind of Bible study and meditation, what kind of lamp and light are they getting for their lives? No wonder there's no discernment. No wonder there's IEDs of sin that are causing casualties all around us. So we see that we must make God's word our lamp in our lights. But then we also see this word commitment again. I know that's a bad word in today's culture, commitment. But we must be committed. We see this theme coming up over and over and over in Psalm 119. We must stay committed to the word of God. Verse 106. I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I have sworn. This is not a swearing in a bad way, in a vulgar way. This is simply making a vow before God. This is a resolution to keep God's judgments. His righteous decrees that he declares, we resolve to keep them. And then we skip over to verse 108. Accept, I beseech thee, the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. We must be speaking words of praise, singing, or words of praise, singing words of praise, of commitment to God and to his word. One of the joys of a ladies Bible study like we had here on Tuesday nights or a men's Bible study or fellowship times before and after church or just having conversations with fellow believers 
and talking about the word of God, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, or singing one to another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. And by doing that, we are speaking to each other the truth as we sing. That's one of the joys of congregational singing and singing the truth like we sang tonight. We're even speaking to one another. Wasn't that a blessing, a joy to hear the songs tonight and to hear one another sing? What a beautiful choir we had tonight in the congregational singing. Uh, it's a blessing, isn't it, Derek and Jake, sometimes to be up here and Emily and to hear the congregation singing and the, the, the special music from, from up here. It's, 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 a, it's a blessing. That's part of our worship. That's part of our speaking to one another. It's part of our praise to the Lord. But in the men's Bible studies, the ladies' Bible studies, to sit for an hour and talk about God and his word and share God's truth with one another, that is a delight to our souls. That is a joy. That is a blessing. That is enriching and edifying. And we need to do that more, probably, than we even do. And we're thankful for the opportunities that we have scheduled But what about in just our conversations with our spouse, a a roommate, a classmate, conversations that we have just in in passing or in places of a social environment? Do Do we bring up God? Do we evangelize? But even among brothers and sisters in Christ, do we talk about the Lord? Isn't it a wonderful thing with a spouse to be able to talk about God, to be able to share what God is doing and how God is leading, uh, to be able to sit, uh, like Kelly and I did two and a half years ago, and sat at a restaurant, and we both looked at each other, and we said, we knew that God was leading us away from a place that had been home for 19 years. And we looked at each other, and we just knew that God was leading us away. We didn't know where, we didn't know when, we didn't know the timing, but to be able to talk about how God was working in our hearts, and how we just had peace between us and the Lord, that God was taking us to a new place. And what a joy to be able to be brought here by the grace of God and the mercy of God. And what a joy it has been for over two years to be loved and to love a group of God's people. And what a privilege it has been to uh, get to know all of you and to be able to share that love of God and that bond that we have in Christ and to have a friendship and a camaraderie according to the truth, like we've been looking at in 3 John. What a blessing that is. We go to Psalm 111, or excuse me, Psalm 119, verse 111. God's word is an eternal inheritance. It's an eternal inheritance. God's promises will never fail. We talked about that recently on a Sunday night. His promises will be true and be faithful even a thousand years in residence in heaven. And there will be many more years in eternity to sing God's praise as we sing Amazing Grace. We've only just begun to sing His praise even after we've been there 10,000 years. His promises will never fail. God's word is sure, God's word is eternal. God's word is an eternal inheritance. Notice in this verse here, in verse 111, thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. 
his witness, his declarations. He says there that they are in heritage forever. They are in inheritance. Heritage is speaking of inheritance. So as we think of inheritance, we think of money, right? We think of passing down property, money, investments. We, we think of some, some of us maybe have grown up in a home where there wasn't a whole lot. And, and passing down to the next generation was maybe a beat-up old car, <laughs> a rusty old car. Or maybe it was, um, I, I don't know, some possession. Maybe you have certain things in your house, furniture. Uh, we have a few pieces of furniture that have been passed down for now several generations. Uh, we have those keepsakes. We have those inheritances. We hope to be able to pass down a monetary or a property inheritance. But think about what we have as believers. 2 Peter 1 and verse number 4, we are partakers of the divine nature. Isn't that incredible to think that God, through his son Jesus Christ, chooses to have a relationship with us? Mere mortals, feet of clay, sinners, saved by grace, partakers of the divine nature. 1 Peter 1 and verse 4 an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away. Everything that we own has some sort of corruption built into it. Is it the second law of thermodynamics? I don't know. I don't see Dan Clark tonight, but maybe uh, Doug can help me out back there or somebody with some science experience. Isn't the second law of thermodynamics that everything is, is, is decreasing? Okay, yeah. So... We know that there is built into this world, there is a temporariness. There will be, yes, a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new creation, the restoration, glorification. But everything that we own, we have to maintain it or else it is, is, it's going to rust, it's going to fall apart. I mean, vacant homes, they end up becoming uh, all, all kinds of different abodes for animals and drugs and I mean on and on it goes right so cities counties they have to tear down vacant buildings sometimes your car no matter how much you love your car you have to repair things you have to get the oil changed on and on it goes our bodies the outward man is perishing but the inward man is renewed day by day but that inward man and that glorified state is the resurrection takes place, the rapture, and the soul is reunited with the body. And obviously, when a Christian passes away, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that resurrection day, when soul and body are reunited and we enter into glory, and the uh, corruptible puts on incorruption, and we realize firsthand, we have it now in promise we have it now in a, in a deposit in the Holy Spirit. who is that in inheritance right now, that first fruits. We have the Holy Spirit. So we have that deposit, that inheritance now in that sense. But we look for a city whose builder and maker is God. We look for that day when we will one day be in the very presence of God. The penalty of sin has already been paid. We know the power of sin has been broken, but we live with the flesh to this day. 
But we look forward to that day when we will be saved from the very presence of sin itself and we will be in the presence of our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus Christ. We long for that day. That is the inheritance that is eternal. Ephesians 1 and verse 3 speaks of all spiritual blessings. And Philippians 4 and verse number 1 talks about people. Paul talks about the Philippians being his joy and his crown. And he's speaking about people who he will spend eternity with. We long to see our Savior first of all. But aren't there loved ones? Aren't there people that maybe we don't even know who we have had the opportunity to share the gospel with? Missionaries we've supported. Seeds that we planted. Gospel seeds that we've watered. That we don't even know. We'll meet people one day in glory as we've been faithful in sharing the gospel we think of our own children, our grandchildren that we're burdened for, who we want to see in heaven one day, and we pray for them, and we give them the gospel, and we give them the truth of God's word, and we bring them to church. And aren't people our Savior, first of all? We want to be in the presence of our Savior. But aren't people an inheritance, an eternal inheritance, that God saves and brings with us into glory, into heaven. We long to see some people that maybe we haven't seen for a long time, maybe a mom or a dad who passed down their faith. Not that they saved you, only God saves, right? It was through faith alone and Christ alone. But they gave you the gospel. I, I'm thankful my dad's in glory. Kelly's uh, mom is in glory. But we have been both benefited by parents who gave us the gospel from an early age took us to church from the time that we could walk, practically. Or sooner than that, we were still in, <laughs> we were still in the, well, whatever they had back then, car seat or whatever it was, the crib. We're thankful for having that gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as a part of our home from early days. And we get to share in the inheritance that is eternal because of their witness in their life, in their sacrifice. And we, by the grace of God, have trusted Christ as our Savior. and We only are here by the grace of God and, and His mercy. But we long to see people who are part of that eternal inheritance, that heritage. So then we go down to verse 112. I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. He was committed. He was determined. He was resolute. To be faithful to God's word for the rest of his life. That should be our same commitment. That should be our same resolution. And then we come finally in this stanza to verse 112. And we see the determination to be faithful to God's word for the rest of our lives. We see again this resolution. We see this Determination, and we see that we're to stay close to God's word, even in the hard times. Staying close to God's word, even in the hard times. We go back now to verse 107. Verse 107, I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. I know we skipped over it, but it speaks to this affliction, this suffering, maybe persecution. It appears to be once again, that there is uh, a possible persecution because verse 110 says the wicked have laid a snare for me. 
So it's very possible that this affliction is a persecution, is in the psalmist, more than likely David, possibly Saul, maybe a rebellious son, maybe an enemy like the Philistines is the cause of this affliction. But he, sees once, he says once again that in this affliction, which is very much, he says, quicken me, make me alive. Give me the life that comes only from you to help me through this suffering, this affliction. Because doesn't affliction, sometimes as we've spent some time in James 1 looking at this, I won't dwell on this for a long time, but doesn't affliction have a temptation to bring discouragement and despondency? To give up on life sometimes? Is this worth continuing? Is it worth continuing to fight these battles, to deal with this, to have to put up with these people? Or, and, and, and what's the temptation? With our world, there are all kinds of escape routes, supposedly escape routes. If you've got a rough patch in your marriage, according to our world today, you just file for divorce. You get out of it. Or you at least agree to some sort of legal separation. Or if you're ashamed of doing that, then you just become two ships passing in the night. And he has his bedroom and she has her bedroom. And you may pass each other in the home once in a while, but pretty much you live your own life. He has his man cave and she has her room. And there's no communication. There's no affection. That's the way some people. And then there's the lack of commitment where they don't even get married now. Now, more and more, couples are just living together. There's no commitment. And they're uh, just going through a, uh, they call it shacking up or whatever. And there's uh, no uh, commitment. And we get into the LGBT stuff and all of that. And I don't want to get carried away there. But again, that lack of commitment that is so evident in our culture today. And we can do all kinds of free subscriptions, 30-day free trials, seven-day. I'm guilty of doing it. Sometimes there's something that I want to try or uh, uh, sports. Sometimes I'm guilty of this because I want to watch a particular sports game, and I'll do a seven-day free trial so I can get that particular channel so I can watch that particular game, and then I end it. Or sometimes you forget to end your So you get caught you know, with that, that monthly bill, and six months later you realize, oh, I forgot to... <laughs> But we live in a world of non-commitment. We can jump to 250 channels, all these different options. We can go to the cereal aisle, and we have 250 different cereals. Now you've got pumpkin spice Cheerios, at least for a couple months. Toothpaste, on and on. We, and so there's, that gets into our mindset. It gets into our, the way we live, even in our Christian life. We don't commit to anything. We don't resolve, determine. And it in turn, draws our hearts away from the Lord, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So we must have God's word as a regular, habitual part of our life so that we have that life-giving, that quickening all the time, every day, in all of our circumstances, in all of our afflictions, like the psalmist cried out in verse 107. Verse 108, Except I beseech thee the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. This again is speaking to his praises and to prayer. 
And then in verse 109, we see again the repetition of this theme of remembering God's word when things get tough. But he uses a phrase that's interesting. My soul is continually in my hand. Now this one's a little bit tough to interpret, even in looking at different commentaries. But the, 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 idea, the idea is, is my soul is like right here. I'm holding it. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it close, looking at it. Things get sometimes tough. Things get difficult. And it seems, that, it seems like sometimes that we're, we're just literally holding our soul in our hand like this, just looking at it. And we're, we're maybe in grief, whatever the affliction, whatever the struggle, whatever it is that we're going through. And it's like our soul is right there and we're looking at it. And we're holding it and we're kind of wringing it in our hand. And that's kind of what the psalmist is saying. And he says in verse 109, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on the grief of my soul. I've got it right here in my hand. I'm, all, I'm, I'm caught up in this. And I don't, again, I don't know what the best illustration is. Uh, to be able to picture this in our minds. But there are things that we will have in our hand that we'll hold and we'll study and we'll keep it and we'll look at it. And, we'll, and it's like he's saying, my soul is right here and I'm clinging to it. It's, it's, it's grieving me. I'm focused on this. I'm trying to figure it out, inspecting it, looking it over. What, what is, and what does he say in verse 109? Yet do I not forget what? Thy law. He's saying, I am so focused right here. What do I do with my soul? What do I do with this circumstance? What do I do with this affliction? How do I get, how do I? But he's bringing his attention and his thoughts and his focus back to the word of God. What's going to bring answers for this? What's going to take and make sense of my circumstances, my afflictions, is the word of God. Again, it comes back to what we've been studying in James 1, once again. In our suffering, in our trials, in our temptations, in our afflictions. We don't focus on the circumstances, we focus on God. We focus on His Word. We focus on the wisdom that we need from the Lord. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And sometimes we're like that double-minded man, and we've got our soul here, and we're back and forth, back and forth. And God wants us to be focused on his word, claiming his promises and living according to his word. And then we close with verse 110. We looked at verses 111 and 112. I know I'm, coming, I'm jumping kind of back and forth here uh, for these particular themes within this stanza. But in staying close to God's word in hard times, we come back again to verse 110. We talked about this word snare. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. The wicked have laid a snare. The lamp and the light. So that we see the snare. Because the wicked are laying them. The wicked are trying to trip us up. You may work in a workplace. Maybe it's, in a, it's a place of recreation. A ball team. Maybe it's somewhere else. In, in your daily life. That. You have to deal with the wicked who are trying to lay snares. They're trying to trip you up. They're trying to catch you in a compromise or trying to get you to compromise. They're trying to point to something in your life that they can accuse. 
that they can try to demean you for, to make fun of your God and your Savior and the Bible, and maybe some of that affliction, that snare, is the way in which they tease, or the fact that you say no to certain activities. Maybe they give you a hard time because you've got the cleanest mouth, and you talk about going to church on Sunday, and you love your wife or your your husband or whatever the, the case may be, and you're trying to raise your children the right way, and they... And they, they live by a totally different value system. And you feel like every time you deal with these people, they're laying snares. But we read in verse 110, Yet have I not erred from thy precepts. You think David had some snares being laid as Saul was chasing him, the Philistines. He had things in the kingdom that he was dealing with. We're not sure exactly where. Again, assuming that David is the psalmist. Snares. We've got to look out for them. They're all over the place. But it's by the word of God, his precepts, his principles. Again, his righteous decrees, his declarations. It is by staying close to God's word, claiming his commands, his principles, his promises, that we err not. Even when the wicked are laying the snares, the IEDs, so to speak, of sin. That we have to look out for. So I hope that this has been a help and an encouragement to us tonight. Let's bow for prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, may we stay close to your word. There are snares all around. There are so many people and even the lusts of our heart, the world, flesh, the devil, Lord, that seem to just constantly be laying snares in our lives and obstacles. Lord, may the word of God be a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. Lord, help us to cast the light of God's word on the path that is before us, on the light, on, on the, 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 the life that you have for us, your will, that we might be obedient and faithful and not be tripped up, not get discouraged, not get off the path of the will of God that you have for us. And Lord, we pray that you will use your word in our hearts to make us more like you, to guide us and direct us throughout this week. And Lord, even tonight, if there's someone here who does not know you as their Savior, may you use your word to be a sword that pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and discerns even the thoughts and intents of the heart and draws that one to you in saving